Friday edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. If you're on the roads, two hands on the wheel, deal with the snow, deal with us. We'll keep you company as we are talking to you the morning after Fred Van Vliet was named to the NBA All-Star team and uh, Eastern Conference Reserve for Van Vliet. And with due respect to Freddie, maybe more importantly, as we look at the we, not the me, or the team and not the I, the individual, the Raptors getting it done again on the floor last night, knocking off the number one seed in the East, the Chicago Bulls in overtime. And Jonesy, a game where Toronto played well for a good chunk of the game, only to see what we thought would probably happen, a Bulls comeback as they have fought and scratched and clawed all season, and they certainly did so last night. And then the Raptors get the rookie uh, producing with a bucket with .7 seconds left in regulation. Into overtime we go, and then the Raptors control OT and get their fourth straight victory. And now sitting at the 50-game mark, four games above 500. Uh, Eric, you make a really good point, uh, just kind of very nicely understated, though, with Scotty Barnes, the rookie making a big play at the end. I mean, it's the second time uh, or, or third time he's been, I can think of this year, he's been in a position. There was, I forget, a game early in the year. It might have been the Detroit game on the comeback or the Oklahoma City game. It was one of the games that I'm sure a lot of fans had chalked up for a win. I, I'd have to go back and, and, and look, at, look at my notes and look at video. But he had a tip in that didn't go, right? It was, it was an easy tip. I, I remember it was at the Bay Street end. You and I were calling it. It was, it would have been an easy tip to either win the game or tie it against. I'm not sure if it was Detroit or OKC. I'm sure some of our listeners will go back and they all run together for me at, at this at this age. There's been so many games, but um, he does it in Miami where he hits the free throws to send it to overtime. And even though Fred thought he got fouled last night, uh, Scotty didn't give up on the play. And and there's the left hand tip in. He is he is really good on the offensive glass. Like he's really good inside. Does a great job of using his size. I mean he he had uh, uh, Nick talked about it. He had a finish inside last night uh, where he just it was straight bully ball. He went right right at Vooch, right at the biggest you know maybe best inside defender they had put his chest on him and and like he had him in jail right behind the steel and 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 laid it in you know and it was a tough layup off the glass the, the rookie's got he's got uh stage presence you know as one of our as our colleague Jack Armstrong would say he's got you know he's not afraid of the big lights he's not afraid of the big time and uh he uh, his t his play his tip to get it to overtime was was huge even though you know, there was Fred thinking he got fouled. Scotty was, hey, man, I ain't got time to worry about if we're going to get the call or not and, you know, take an L and talk about it after. Let me tip this thing in and let's get let's get five more minutes to get it done. Yeah, he was absolutely fantastic last night and a lot of standout performances from the game last night. I mean, we talked about it in our post-game vlog. By the way, you should be checking those out, folks. Quick little hit. Two minutes, two minutes and 15 seconds recapping the games. Find the Smith & Jones vlog on Twitter, on Instagram. 
Three players going for 21 points last night. Barnes, who we just spoke about, adding eight rebounds, two assists. Ananobi with six assists in the ballgame. Oh, yeah, by the way, both of those guys shooting above 50% from the floor and 50% or better from three-point distance as well, including Ananobi, who had some huge ones in the fourth quarter and in overtime as well. Gary Trent had 16, but another guy with 21, all-star Freddie Van Vliet. And I'll tell you, Siakam's final number didn't necessarily look great because he had a sequence where I think he missed about four or five chippies right around the rim in the fourth quarter. But overall, 9 of 22, 25 points, 13 rebounds, 7 assists, a couple of steals, and a block. Like, this starting five continues to impress. But last night, and we talked about this, Jonesy, impressive minutes from Precious Achua and also Chris Boucher. I, I'm even willing to say, forget about the 16 points and 10 rebounds in only 25 minutes of work. The impact that he made in certain stretches of the game, including when he had to come in very late for Scotty Barnes, who looked to be banged up. I don't know if it was a knee, an ankle, a foot, a leg, or something, but he had to go to the bench late and get tended to by Scott McCullough, and Boucher came in instantly for Scotty and got the job done and made at least one, if not two, big plays. Yeah, he did. Uh, you know, and and you know the Raptors. The Raptors have have that big lineup that I love to see Nick Nurse go to, and I guess that's what they envisioned when they uh, put this type of team together. There was at times OG was playing the five guarding Vucevic, and you know they. I, I believe it was the second quarter. They started the quarter with uh, Siakam, Boucher, Banton. Uh, Barnes and Ananobi, like there was you. You want to you want to switch? There's nobody. You can't go at a little guy. Um, and we've got three ball handlers that on the uh, that can handle the ball on the perimeter and play make in in Banton, Barnes and Siakam. So whatever you do to us, we we've we've got an answer. And man, that. Uh, you know that was that was a good lineup. I like it, and they come at you with double teams with that length. I don't know how many deflections they had last night, but as soon as Vooch got into his rhythm, they started doing circa 2019 first round playoffs, coming at him, arms waving, legs out, and I don't know how many of his passes out of the double team, uh, you know, got deflected or or knocked off off path from A to B. I, I, I tell you, you talk about Chris Boucher, Eric. Um, f- I, I believe it was 56 seconds to go. I'm, I'm looking at the official play-by-play here. Uh, Dosumu has the ball on the baseline. He drives, he stops, and he's looking for a passing outlet. And as you're taught in, in bitty ball, in grade school ball, as soon as a guy picks up his dribble, you push up on him. And Boucher pushes up on him. He's, he's longer. Dosuma's pass is deflected, and Chris comes away with a steal. That's one of the big plays you're talking about because Chica- Toronto's up two, and Chicago has the ball on the baseline, and, and you know, Toronto ends up with a steal there, uh, you know, thanks to, thanks to what, you know, Chris did. And then, you know, Fred hits a three uh, later on in the overtime after that. Chicago never scored after that, so... Man, I, I tell you, I, I, I like I like this team and the way they're playing right now. Uh, our guy George Big G on Twitter, he's a regular. He's a he's a regular listener and, and tweeter, interacting all the time. He used to work down at Scotiabank Arena as well. 
he reminded us, Jonesy, and we were just talking about it, the rookie getting it done with .7 to tie the game. It was November 5th when Scotty missed the tip with .2 to go against the Cavs. That was the game where the Raptors Cavs. led for, yeah. you know, I, yeah. well, George wrote 47 minutes and 55 seconds. It was damn close to that. I, I think it was more like 47-30, but either way, splitting hairs here. They led for 99.4% of the game. And it was the game against the Cavs where Scotty had a chance, missed that one. And as George said, and he's bang on, glad to see that he learned from that and he got the job done and put, put himself in that moment again. And this time he was able to come through. And that's huge for the growth of a young player, Jonesy, both not just physically in, in, in the game itself, but mentally as well to put yourself in that position and to see yourself get one done and get the job done. That's, that's huge, not just for Scotty, but then, of course, for the team as a collective as a whole as well. Yeah, and, and see, there it was, uh, Big G bailing me out. I knew it was a game earmarked in my mind that the Raptors should have had in the, in the left-hand column, not the right column. So um, <laughs> it, it, was, it was Cleveland after, after – that was a heartbreaking loss too. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, we've, we talked about it and it, letting our, our listeners into some of the stuff that, uh, that we chat about during commercial. We've, we've talked about it looking at the record. Uh, they're four games over 500 right now at, at uh, you know, at, at 20, what are they? Hang 27 and 23. 27 and 23. Coulda, shoulda, woulda. You know, are you, are you, are you 30 and 20 if uh, the Detroit game that you gave up, the Oklahoma City game, and the Cleveland game that you secure are still on the mix? Now, people will say, and I, I, I rightfully accept this, well, you stole some. You, you know, you you stole one or two against Milwaukee. Nobody saw them going, you know, three and zero against Milwaukee. Maybe you maybe you stole one on the road in Philly. Uh, you know, there are, there are games like that. So, um, you know, the the Raptors are in a good spot now. They're, they are, and and I would love to have those games, the Cleveland game, uh, the OKC game, the Detroit game. You kind of love to have them again with the team healthy, playing the way they are now. You can't, yeah. Yeah. but you, you 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 would like to. And and that being said, Detroit still beat them in Detroit a couple Saturdays ago, and and you know they go next night to Milwaukee and win on the back to back. But on a Friday, I mean, Detroit beat them. You just you you I mean you you play the game. You can't you can't you know predict those outcomes. So um, well, and here's the other thing, well right now. Yeah, Jonesy, I don't disagree with anything you said. I'm in, I'm in lockstep with all that, but I, I know for a fact that you would acknowledge this as well. I kind of feel like the record is what it probably should be, and this is kind of what yeah. this team is, because as much as you say, and I, again, I agree with you, the woulda, coulda, shoulda, and it would have been great to get that Cleveland game that you led for 99% of the night or that Detroit game that let slip or the Brooklyn game where they had nobody in the lineup outside of Kevin Durant, which is still a pretty damn big somebody, and they lose that ball game. But then they also got Golden State without pretty much their entire roster. It was the Santa Cruz Warriors coming to town. They got Utah without Rudy Gobert and Joe Ingles and Donovan Mitchell and, like, nine guys on 10 days and whatever. So those things kind of tend to even themselves out. I think sure. there were plenty of games on the schedule where you probably would have circled that being a Utah win, that being a Golden State win. So, you know, that cancels out then when you get – some of those uh, those little blips against subpar opponents that you probably should have beaten, but you ultimately lost to. So I kind of think this team is what they are, and I keep referencing it, and I don't want to sound arrogant about it. You and I both said this 
at the beginning of the year, and I, I, I'll keep saying it till the end, I had them somewhere in the 38 to 44 range, either a couple up or a couple below. And right now they're four up. Hey, if they end up going and winning 45, 47, 49 games, I'll be the first to say I had them in 38 to 44. But I think when the dust settles, that's going to be where it is. I think I, I, I'm tending to believe it's going to be closer to the 44 now and not the 38 whether it's 41, 42, 43, 44, but I think they're going to be right in that wheelhouse, which puts them right in the mix for a playoff spot, which I thought they would compete for. I wasn't one of those people, like a lot of our friends to the States, that had them you know, 11th, 12th. I don't think anybody had them 15th. But I had them as a playoff team, as a team that would be right there in the mix. And here we are, 50 games in, and they're a playoff team, a few games above 500, just like you and I thought they'd be. Yeah, and and uh, uh, I, I I'm with you, Eric. I had them somewhere around somewhere around the mm, forty one mark. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, so, somewhere around the five hundred mark. So, um, you know, good 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 for them. You know, they are really 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 doing uh, a, a great job, and now that they have. Uh, you know, people healthy. Uh, they got Kem Birch back a little bit last night. I just, I love what this team is doing. And I don't, I don't know how you can't. And they're starting to get a little bit of notoriety and recognition from, uh, you know, from some people around, around the NBA. All right. Notoriety and recognition. A perfect place to go with this when we talk about Fred Van Vliet. We were doing our pregame show yesterday. And we were keeping a keen eye on what was happening, and we were hoping that the announcement was made before the National Anthem started playing because we didn't want to talk over the anthems, of course, and be disrespectful. And thankfully, it worked out perfectly as Fred Van Vliet was the last of the seven reserves announced, but he was announced. Pascal Siakam did not get in, but Fred Van Vliet is an Eastern Conference All-Star from undrafted to All-Star. And let's play some comments right now. I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I'm going to go in order here so to make sure that we're all following along nicely. Uh, Andrew Holland, part of the team, he's, on the, he's, he's our Friday man. You know, Lance does that four-day week, and then Andrew comes in, and, and he's like the closer and cleans up the week here. So we have Nick Nurse. This was pregame before he even knew about Fred being named, but he talked about just the maturation, the progression, the growth as a man, but certainly as a player of Fred Van Vliet. Can you give us some impression of what he's meant to you guys this year, just a general, what he's become? Yeah, I mean, I think I think um, he takes over a huge void with some with some leadership gone. You know, I think there's been some couple years of of uh, veteran players, um, you know, going elsewhere, right? Um, so a lot of leaders go out. Kyle, obviously, one of the key leaders goes out, and he's filled that void, um, big void, big shoes to fill with um, flying colors, really. You sort of, he seems to be the mediator between you and the rest of the like He's your, your conduit to the rest yeah. of the team. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty, you know, it's um, for me, it'd be fairly normal, right, to have somebody or a group of guys or a couple guys. But, um, you know, when we're getting ready to do stuff and practice or, 
you know, we're getting ready to get to game plans or whatever it is, is that we, uh, instead of kind of going right to it, we uh, maybe give some explanation as to what's coming and why we're doing it to kind of get that passed down through the, the communication chain a little bit. And uh, usually just helps us speed up the learning process and the understanding and the efficiency of it. So there's Nick Nurse uh, talking about Fred Van Vliet and, and uh, the, the team right now, Jonesy. Um, you know, they're, they're playing well this season. Freddie's certainly playing at an all-time level as well. And, and, and before we hear more of the comments, um, just your thoughts in general, as I said again, going from undrafted to all-star. And I know you sent out the tweet, so I, I, I won't give away the, the, the stat or the, the trivia, the info, but it's extremely uncommon extremely uncommon doing what Fred Van Vliet is or has now done. Yeah, uh, only four guys that have been undrafted have never been named, have ever been named All-Stars. Ben Wallace, John Starks, and Brad Miller. And it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's head-shaking, you know, the, the odds of doing what he is doing, but he never I, I get the feeling from Fred he never looked at the whole mountain you know when I was in high school and I was uh, a track athlete and you're you're a hurdler you, you never practice by putting up 10 hurdles and going down the track you know you work on the start the six the seven step approach or the five step approach to the first hurdle lead leg out boom then you go back and you do it again. And then the next day you put up, you know, three hurdles and you do the first three. And then, you know, the next day you, you, you put the, the middle two or three and you, you're full speed and boom, over the middle one, boom, over the next one. And you do that. And you just chip away and you do a little bit at a time until you want to line up all ten hurdles. And, and I, I get that feeling from Fred. He came in undrafted. We were there. You know, the first training camp out in out in uh, Vancouver. And he said, OK, Kyle's the guy I'm going to learn from him. He latched on to Kyle in, in a good way and and earned his respect by competing with him, going at him in practice, guarding him uh, just it, and, and, and it woke everybody up. It, it, yeah. You know what? I think we did make the right move signing this undrafted kid. And Fred has just continued to, to chip away, improve a little bit at a time, make his mark, stay within, stay within his, his, uh, his role. And as he's continued to do that, his role has expanded. And look at where it is now. It's one of those, wow, look at what my renovation looked like when, I, when the house was a mess. And geez, it looks pretty good right now. And, and every, nobody sees everything that goes into it, but... You know, a guy like Fred does because of how hard he's worked just a little bit at a time all the way through. All right, well, let's hear from Fred Van Vliet himself. First off, just simply uh, talking about uh, making the All-Star team. Just proud, you know, um, humbled and honored to be selected first and foremost. Obviously, you guys know how I feel about myself and kind of the, the will and the confidence that I've had to have, you know, over the course of my life and my career. But um, to be recognized like that, you know, it's a, it's a special moment for me and my family and all the people that have been a part of the journey along the way. So, um, you know, I always try to be humble in these moments and show grace and just be thankful that I'm even, you know, in this position. 
You know, Jonesy, when he talks about how far he's come, he dug a little bit deeper into that. So let's hear a little bit more from Fred on the path, the journey to get to this point. Yeah, I mean, it's really just one for me. Like, I don't, I don't even know if I've shared this uh, publicly, but just I probably have. Um, just training camp as an undrafted rookie, um, staying over there in the Rosemont and just literally, you know, being on my knees praying before I went to bed to make the team. You know what I mean? Like, like every night, you know what I'm saying? Just pouring out everything I got during practice and um, workouts and things like that and just praying that somebody would see that. And it's not really about, like, praying that I've, I've done my job, you know what I mean? It's more so for the recognition because I've always believed in myself, but, you know, I've never had someone else believe in me like this. So that's the part that, that, that makes me nervous. That's the part that gives me butterflies. I was nervous all day today because um, I never know what, you know, how somebody else is going to perceive it. So um, that moment right there is just something that I just always circle back to. and It's a positive, you know, memory for me um, because, you know, I'm a man of faith and just, uh, having those times where, you know, you just by yourself, you know, and just by yourself, and you got to get through those situations, and um, you know, everything comes full circle. It's a great to hear from from Fred VanVleet Jones. I've I've said to you, you know, on and off the air, um, I'm not a religious guy at all, and and more power to anybody that is. I'm I'm not here to to, to begrudge anybody. Whatever you believe in, whoever you believe in, I have nothing but the respect for that. But taking aside just the, the, the faith component of what he just said and simply looking at, listen, all of us, or maybe not all of us, most of us try to live our lives as genuinely as we can, as humbly as we can. But I think we'd all be lying if we said that it's not nice sometimes to get a little recognition and to, to know that you're appreciated. And whether that's one little comment from your significant other or from your kid, or from a friend, or from a colleague, or whomever, just getting sometimes that pat on the back. As much as we say we don't need it, don't want it, oh, we have a job to do, oh, it's an honor to do it, a pleasure to it's, it's nice sometimes to be recognized. And to Fred's point, when you feel like you haven't been recognized, or you haven't been singled out sometimes, or you've always had to work for it, or, or you feel like maybe you haven't been taken care of, or people haven't necessarily had your back, and you've had to work yourself, and all of a sudden to get to this level, and to then be named as an all-star, like, that's got to be huge. To sit around and think, like, I mean, we could break this down and look at it even as, as simple as a, as a, as a, you know, a, I don't know, you, you make the joke all the time about that kid asking somebody to dance at the school dance in elementary school or something, you know, wait too long and then the lights come on and you missed your chance. But, you know, think about your first love or that first time you had a crush on somebody or whatever and just the nervousness of, do they like me? Do they care about me? Do they think about me the same way I think about them? And then how that joy that you feel when that love or that like or that respect, that appreciation is not only reciprocated and shown, but you feel it. And you, and, and you get that, that feedback, feedback, excuse me, that, that love and that appreciation. Again, I say, as much as we all talk that we don't need it or don't want it, yeah, we maybe don't need it or don't want it all the time, but it's pretty damn nice when you get it. Yeah, uh, Eric, well said, really well said, and it's true. Sometimes you just, 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 you know, as anybody would say, just give me a little to keep me going. You know, I, I, I don't yeah, need yeah. a whole lot, just every so often, uh, you know, and, and it's, 
Hey, for anybody who's in a leadership position or strives to be in a leadership position out there, don't forget that. You know, I and I and I know it. I hey, you know, you're you're sometimes like law enforcement when you're running a school, and you know, you know the ten percent of the kids that are in the office all the time. But what about the ninety percent of the kids that that aren't in the office that that show up every day and just and just work really hard, or that uh, you know that that teacher on the third floor that is that is that is in there every day and and doing their best for the kids and you know what walk up there sometimes and go hey i know i haven't been up here a little long time there's stuff going on in the office but i see what you're doing and like you know thanks keep it and that's that you're right that's all it takes and and we all thrive on that and good for fred good for fred he's he's you know he said he's a man of faith he's tough-minded he, you know, he, he, he goes about his business. He takes pride in what he does and, and knows himself that, hey, man, I gave everything I had. I'm doing everything I can. And the result is the result. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. But to get this, uh, I, 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 think is, I think is really great. It's really great for him. And it's inspiring. It's inspiring for, inspiring for other people. How many other people now in... in Places where they see themselves as an underdog are going to take on that, you know, that Fred Van Vliet mentality. Uh, I can bet quite a few. All right, one last one from Freddie, and it's pretty much on this topic um, about the recognition and being recognized, something that, that we both have talked about, but you certainly, Jonesy, have carried the torch on this one for a long time, and, and, and you're bang on. Freddie speaking about being selected by the coaches as a all-star reserve. That's what I mean. Yeah, that's that's what I play for. You know what I mean? I, I don't. I never sought out to be a fan favorite. Uh, I certainly respect and admire the the passion, and and obviously the fans are a huge part of what we do in this business. But um, you know, I always sought out to be respected by my peers first and foremost, and you know the coaches right after that. So uh, that one would have stung a little bit, you know, considering the season that I've had. If they wouldn't have picked me, but. I could have lived with that, you know, that decision. So it definitely means a little bit more coming from them. There's Fred Van Vliet, all-star. And, and Jonesy, it just sort of affirms everything you've been talking about for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, look, and with no disrespect to the fans, um, it's a popularity contest. They fall victim to some of the the NBA marketing and, and you know, popularity stuff with, with players and, you know, they – they get on board. People start talking about a certain player, and all of a sudden, that player is the flavor of the month, and everybody's all over what they're doing. And then you get you get a guy like Fred, who just you know just kind of keeps keeps chopping wood, keeps keeps working away every day. And it, it, it's nice. It's it really is nice to be recognized, as he said, by your peers and by the coaches. Um, and I I think this is going to be this does wonders for not just Fred. But for it will for the team. He's already the leader, but he's coming back um, with his with his chest out a bit, and it, and it's going to translate to the team. Think of Pascal Siakam the same way when he became an All Star and and he came back to the team, and and now you've got two because Fred has done it, and Pascal has done it in the past and knows he can still do it. And as we said last night on the broadcast, if this thing is what backed up by a week or two and pascal has another the way he's playing another week or two of this kind of play going into the all-star break 
who, who knows? The Raptors maybe climb the standings. They're not in seventh. Maybe they're in fifth. And it's a different look. You get two guys in. But that being said, you got a couple of solid leaders right there in, in, in Fred and Pascal. And uh, good that they were rewarded. Pascal was on postgame with us and unsolicited. You know, shout out to my guy, Freddie Van Bleet, all-star. And Pascal knows what that's like, so good for him. And that's, that's more, as we said, Eric, the, it's about the team. It's about, uh, you know, playing for your brother, playing for the guys that, you know, the guy in the cubicle next to you, all the, those guys in the locker room. They're depending on you. I'm not letting them down. And just to maybe put a bow in this conversation, we're certainly going to talk more about this as the, as the show unfolds. Um, but at least in terms of this little portion of it right here. Um, in talking about Siakam, I had a couple of people, actually, sorry, we had a couple of people, because I know you were on the, on the chain of tweets and messages as well, talking about Pascal getting snubbed. I don't think he got snubbed, but I will say he was absolutely deserving. The tough thing is there were plenty of people deserving it. We've, we've discussed it a lot over the last couple of days. I mean, you talk about snubbed or deserving, LaMelo Ball. You know, Jared Allen, they're, they're Drew Holiday, Tyler Hero. Like, there are at least four, if not five, six, seven guys, and Pascal is part of that mix, that if you want to say snub, okay, fine, use that word, but I don't think it's fair. I think he was more than deserving, and if he ends up being named as the injury replacement for Kevin Durant, great, but if it ends up being Hero or Ball or Allen or anybody else, it's not that he got subbed, it's that he's having a hell of a year, He's deserving, but there's a lot of guys having great years, and there's only so many spots. So I don't think that it's fair to look at it as a snub because that, to me, also you know, yeah. sets up a negative context or a negative tone to even for Pascal. No, keep playing your tail off. Keep playing at this level and know that it's recognized even if it's not recognized as an all-star. You know what? Keep playing this level. You might be all NBA by the time the season ends up, you know, coming coming to an end if you keep playing like this. So just keep that as a goal, not a couple of days in Cleveland. Yeah, and you know the the funny thing about it, Pascal's going to get a little chance to rest. Uh it's going to yeah. be a it's going to be a grind coming home. Um so he gets a chance to, I don't know, go to the Bahamas or Jamaica or the Cayman Islands or wherever the heck he wants to go and, and put his feet up for a bit and then come back, lace it up, and get ready to go in the, in the, uh, in the second half. So, um, hey, there's still a few games to go before we hit the, the, the unofficial halfway point. It's more like the two-thirds point, the All-Star game. But, yeah. uh, but uh, you know, this is the time to, to, make, to make a bit of a run. Because when you come back from the break, man, those games go really, really quickly. All right, Jonesy, when we continue on Smith & Jones, we're going to keep talking hoops. We'll talk a little bit about Nick Nurse. We'll talk about some podcasting. We'll talk about the growth of the game and the fan base for the Raptors and a whole lot more with Max Kerman, lead singer of Arkells, next on Smith & Jones. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review as well. 
Speaking of podcasts, we're going to give a little promo for one right now as well as we bring into the conversation frontman for our Kells co-host of the Best Hang podcast, the new season of the podcast. And the first episode with Nick Nurse is out right now. It features the in-person interview with Nick Nurse, discussing his coaching career, his love of music, and much more, including Nick Nurse and Max Kerman treating listeners to covers by Harry Styles, John Lennon, Prince, and more. Max Kerman joining us. Max, thanks for the time today. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm a huge, huge fan of, uh, of you guys, so uh, this is a thrill. Yeah, well, listen, awesome, man, th- yeah. thanks, thanks for saying that. We, we appreciate that. And I, I, listen, I, I'm going to throw it over to Jonesy here for a second because I don't want to tell the story because I, I was there kind of – I came in late. Jonesy saw it or heard it from the beginning. But, Jonesy, I, I don't know if Max has heard the story, if Nick has ever relayed this. Obviously, Max, you've played music with Nick's. You've brought him on stage at your concerts. You just sang with him on the podcast now as well, and folks can hear that. But, Jonesy, one of the first times you or I, and, and, and as I say, especially you – heard Nick Nurse even doing anything musically was in yeah. a hotel lobby in Milwaukee. I don't know if Max has heard the story. <laughs> Max, I don't know if you know the story. So the Raptors are playing. Nick's the assistant to Dwayne Casey. The Raptors mm-hmm. are playing Milwaukee in the playoffs, and it's game three in Milwaukee. And the score ended up Milwaukee 7,322,408, Toronto 5. Like it was, yeah, I think I remember that one. It was, it was a butt kicking of biblical proportions, and in the playoffs, one game is one game. But like they were, they had the police, Metro Police, guarding the Blur Viaduct for Raptor fans. Like just no, don't jump, don't jump. You know, I I shouldn't make light of of, of something as serious as suicide. But my my, the fans on Twitter, Eric, at one point, Max, I heard this. Eric turned, Eric took his phone and went. I'm 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 done with Twitter. I'm not I'm not I'm not responding anymore. And I said, why Why did you pick up the phone? It's only one game. We got game four in two days, and so we go back to the hotel, and I am trying to get upstairs to the room, and I can't get there. And I'm like, forget it. I'll take the stairs, and I take the stairs, and I realize that if I cut through the 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 Hamilton or the the Adams ballroom, I can get to my room and I'm cutting through the ballroom and there's an upright piano. And I, I, I hear the music playing. I, I stop. I think, is that elevator music? Is that like coming from the ceiling or something? No. Oh, it's a piano over there and I can't see anybody. So I figure it's one of those, you know, those, those things that you push the pedals, those player pianos that, you know, the automatic ones. And I walk over to the piano and there's Nick Nurse sitting there playing the piano. I'm like, I'm like, I'm looking for the the jar on top of the piano to put a put a, a dollar in or something, put a tip in. And I looked and I said, Coach. He goes, Yeah, I like this. You know, I'm a music guy. It relaxes me. Um, you know, it takes me away. I'm like, Okay. So I sat there for a couple minutes. As I didn't even know what he was playing. It could have been anything from. Theme to Titanic to to Chopin for crying out loud, but he was he was he was getting down. And after a while, I said, "Okay, well, we got one more. We get him." He says, "Yeah, we'll get him next time. It's only one game." And I walked away. And that was to me that was. I always say, if you can, if you are proficient at a sport, speak a foreign language, play a musical instrument. Like if you got all three of those, or even one or two of those. 
you're you, you suddenly take a step towards well-rounded in my case and you, you obviously have one of those so that that puts you in that category but eric and i a different story but um, <laughs> um but yeah that's that was my first experience with nick nurse and yeah nick nick uh nick can't stop you know i really admire him because uh he picked up uh, playing piano and guitar only a few years ago. So I know a lot of people later in life, you know, he's he's over 50 now, you know, don't think about taking on new interests uh, or trying to learn new things. And, and Nick did. And I mean, the fun part about being uh, the head coach of Toronto Raptors is you're only staying in five-star hotels when you're on the road, and there's usually a beautiful grand piano uh, in the lobby. So uh, he, he's got a lot of like fun toys to play with. He brings a keyboard with him uh, to his hotel room. He'll, he'll send me voice notes on different songs he's working on just in the hotel room. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think I really I relate to Nick in a way. We sort of have like an inverse relationship uh, in that the thing that relaxes me from my job as a musician uh, is, is playing basketball and thinking about basketball and, and watching Raptors games and reading the NBA Reddit page and listening to basketball podcasts. And that's the way I get away from my day job as a musician, thinking about songs and touring and all the creative that goes into my life. And for Nick, it's the opposite. The way Nick gets away from his day job is, you know, trying to learn a Bob Dylan song or trying to learn, you know, um, a Thelonious Monk song. And that's the way uh, he gets away. So we share that in common, but it's just the, the inverse relationship. You know, it's funny, Max, you, you talk about trying to pick up something later in life. I'm, I'm thankfully not yet in my 50s, but I'm, I'm, I'm in the home office right now, which I share with my son when he's not doing his guitar lessons, and I'm staring at this lime green, bright green Jackson guitar, and I've never played an instrument in my life. Um, and and I, I've joked with my kid a couple of times over the years, like, ah, maybe I'll learn. And you're, you're kind of like giving me that little nudge, that little inspiration to maybe pick it up at some point and see if I can just kind of strum away and learn it. But putting that aside, I, I find it interesting what you just said, and I, I think it's important as well because eh, maybe I'm getting philosophical here, but especially these last couple of years in the pandemic and everything else, it's important in life, is it not, Max, to have that outlet, whatever that outlet is, whether it's a coach wanting to play a guitar to get away from the game, whether it's a, a front man for a, a, a band getting away from the music to play basketball, just something to you know, get your mind away from what normally consumes your mind the majority of your day, the majority of your time, whether it's personal or professional, needing something, having something to just be an escape and a release. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that it actually ends up helping your actual job too. And I know Nick believes in that as well, is that like your mind becomes a little more free when you get away from the thing you're thinking about. Like you sort of have to like actively disengage because if you're only living and breathing it, uh, you know, sometimes you can lose a little bit of perspective. And I know that's the case with songwriting. I'm sure that's the way Nick thinks about coaching. If he's, if he's only thinking about it all the time, you, you can lose perspective. Um, and, you know, I think, I think Nick, if you go to his office, he has a lot of different books on leadership and, and he's a, he's a lifelong learner. I think he's really interested in, um, in learning, not just from basketball people, but from all different, uh, walks of life. Um, you know, and one on the podcast, um, you know, we had a really fun conversation with him. And, and if you've read his book, you know, he spent a lot of time in England in his early days as a coach and this sort of American fish out of water in England. He's from the Midwest. It really reminded me of Ted Lasso and watching Ted Lasso. Uh. I was thinking of, I was thinking about Nick 
and, and I said to Nick, I was like, Nick, I texted him. I was like, hey, Nick, I'm watching uh, Ted Lasso right now. And, uh, you know, have you ever watched that show? I think you'd like it. It kind of reminds me of you. And he goes, bro, I told you nine months ago to watch that show. That's my favorite show. I love that show. It reminds me so much of me. Um, and, <laughs> you know, he um, – but but this sort of attitude, and I know Nick can be Nick is a fierce competitor. He can really get on the guys. You can see him screaming at the ref. He, he is in some ways like a very intense coach, but in the other ways, I think he's he's really interested in allowing his players to be the best versions of themselves and sort of nudging them in that direction. And he tells this great story on the pod um, of how there are certain members on on his bench that were sort of shaking their head after Precious um, turned the ball over late in the game. This was a few weeks ago because he, he was bringing the ball up and late in the game, he turned it over. And, you know, I think the press was saying, you know, Nick, why are you letting Precious bring the ball up? He's your center. And then Nick just said, well, you know what it says to me? It, it says that uh, I just got to let him practice a little bit more. I got to let him do that a few more times and then he'll be that much better at it. And then sure enough, last night, I'm sure you guys were both watching the game. Precious grabs yeah. the rebound dribbles the whole length of the, the court and dunks it over everybody in a pivotal moment. And that's why you got to let, let guys do the thing and let them work through their issues sometimes. And, um, and that's the kind of coach Nick is. And, um, and I just, you know, it's not exactly the same, but as my job in the band working with producers and, and the rest of the guys in our Kells and, you know, just like figuring out problems together, you know, sometimes we, we always have to, let things breathe a little bit uh, before you, you pounce on somebody. <laughs> and, uh, and Nick is a great example of that. Max and, and Eric will, will validate and verify this. Um, I, am, I am about 35 years behind on my pop culture. And because I, I, Eric would say, oh, there's, I mean, we'd be in L.A. and he'd say, doing a Laker game, and he'd say, oh, there's so-and-so. And I said, what show is that? He goes, you don't watch X show? I'm like, no, man, I was watching the game. I was, like, studying the breakdown on, you know, the jab step or, or, or the slice move or, or the floppy action. <laughs> like, and and I, I, I know this in having, uh, you know, grown children now, and, and trying to raise them to be, and they're athletes too, trying to raise them, though, to be a little bit more worldly. I have started with some of the stuff, like the, I'm watching shows. My 24-year-old my, my daughter said to me, Dad, you should watch Ted Lasso as a leader. And I'm like, okay, all right, all right, I'll take it. And I am into season one, about six episodes in, and we were talking about it in the car last night, and... And and she said that same thing. Kind of, you think it's like that's that's great leadership, isn't it? I said it is, Justine. It is. And and we had a great chat about it. And I asked Eric. I said, Eric, have you watched Ted Lasso? And he says, That's one of my favorite shows. So I feel like I'm in the mix now. And and to your <laughs> point, when I was a kid, my grandmother sold some of her cattle in Jamaica sent the money to my mother so my brother and I could take piano lessons and my mom bought a piano. It's still in the family. And I have vowed, Max, you've given me the impetus now. I have vowed that when I get older, the two things that I'm going to do that I thought were always for people that, that that'll never be me was play golf and learn to play a music, musical instrument, <laughs> go back to the piano. So, so here I go. And I, let's go to you on the other side. Since, how long... Where does the depth of your basketball fandom come from, Max? 
Oh my goodness! Well, it, it, it's really a ba- basketball and baseball. You know, were my first true loves, and I mean, I could talk a long time about my uh, my fandom for the Raptors. You know, I was ten years old, nine years old when the Raptors started in '95. I have drawings of Damon Stoudemire, and, and my first email account was Vince underscore Kermit at hotmail dot com because I was obsessed with Vince Carter. <laughs> and uh, you know, I listened to Eric Smith uh, as I was going to bed every night on the post game radio show on the Fan Five. 90 uh back, back when i was a kid and uh i you know i did a pr- um there was a project assigned in grade eight i went to lower lansdowne public school which is right downtown toronto it's a oh, college yeah. in oh, yeah. and um the, the assignment was interview somebody in the community that has a job you think is cool and so i opened the phone book and i looked up the toronto raptors front office called the number and I, the secretary picked up the phone and I said, can I please speak to Mr. Glenn Grunwald, who we know is the, the general manager of the Raptors at the time. And the secretary said, okay, and put me right through. And I, and I, and I got connected with Glenn and I interviewed him. I got to go down to the, the, the newly minted Air Canada Center and, I, and uh, I've been friends with Glenn ever since. And, you know, my gym teacher, not to get too deep here, um, was, it was a great guy named Mr. Nicholson. And Mr. Nicholson said, you have to check out my nephew. My nephew is going to be a star in the NBA one day. He's six foot nine and he plays for Eastern Commerce. You got to go check him out. This is in 1994. So I would have been about nine years old. And uh, I, go, I started going to Eastern Commerce games. And sure enough, uh, that player was Jamal McGlore, who had an illustrious NBA career and now works with the Raptors. So, you know, I've been, I've been going to, to basketball games of all levels since I was a kid. I played on my high school team. I still, you know, play whenever I can on the road. You know, it's, it's nice, you know, just interacting with folks in different communities, whether I'm in L.A. or St. Louis or New York or Winnipeg or Vancouver. Um, and just, you know, I just love, love the fact, you know, the, the great thing about a sport like basketball is that it brings people together from every walk of life, you know, it costs no money to do really. And, um you know, and, you know, when you go to a Raptors game, you see every part of Toronto. And that's my favorite part about uh, being from this neck of the woods is that, you know, it, it's a very inclusive place. And, uh, and it's just such a great showcase for our city. Speaking with Max Kerman, Arkell's frontman, co-host of the Best Hang Podcast. Again, the first episode of the new season is out. You can find the Best Hang Podcast wherever you get your podcasts in the first episode featuring Nick Nurse and uh, lots of discussions about uh, his career and so much more, including Nick Nurse singing. Yep, not just playing, but singing. Uh, covers of Harry Styles and John Lennon and Prince and much more. Uh, Max, I, 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 I promise you I ask this with zero, 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 um, uh, political leaning or anything just looking big picture this past couple of years raptors playing down in tampa last year raptors playing to full capacity then 50 percent capacity then no capacity no fans you've dealt with the same thing you and, and and your band trying to deal with travel or no travel and concerts in canada and canceled concerts and you were part of the the what we thought was the comeback and the resurgence and and we're back to normal last year with the concerts you had in toronto and 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 it looked like okay here we go and boom shut down again and and it's impacted your life your business your fun everything what's it been Mm -hmm. like for you trying to navigate it all whether it be again from a business standpoint or even as a fan because i'm sure you would have loved to have been in the building last night or a couple of weeks ago and trying to now watch from afar and follow from afar but also know it's impacting both personal and professional life 
Yeah, you know, it's it's hard. You know, obviously, uh, everybody's struggled in one way or another. And, like, you know, for most musicians who really rely on touring, it's been an incredibly uh, difficult, you know, couple of years. You know, I don't know. I, I try to keep things in perspective because it's so easy to complain. Uh, and, and to complain for good reasons, by the way. Like, um, but, you know, I also try to put myself in the in the shoes of, of the people in charge uh, who I think in many cases are like just genuinely doing their best, uh, their best and uh, they're trying their hardest, I should say, to, to make the best decisions. And, you know, and, and then, you, you know, uh, you get in your own head a little bit and then you step outside and you go, OK, look at these these folks working in hospitals that are really trying to keep things together. So, you know, hopefully you know, the way I try to think about this, is this is a once in a lifetime, hopefully situation uh, that we just have to get through, you know, and uh, and it feels like. We're getting there. Uh, I, you know, in the pit of my stomach, I feel like, you know, this is going to be the last round of lockdowns, uh, and then we can all, uh, you know, get back to biz. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I really, I really have sort of sympathy for everybody right now, and um, and, and hopefully we don't have to do this again. I know it's sort of like a non-answer, but uh, I just, you know, I, I do have a lot of sympathy for people who are working in the hospitals who are trying to take care of our most needy and i try to think about them before i start complaining about stuff <laughs> yeah no listen i, I don't think yeah, it's a non-answer no. i think it's an honest answer no. i think it's it's kind of the way that i wish more people would be taking that approach is that hey it's tough but we still got it better than some do and there's a lot of people out there you know busting their hump and working their tails off trying to get us through and just kind of uh, appreciate what you have but also appreciate that others are going through a tough time and just try and be there for one another maybe that's the lasso-esque way to to wrap it up is just trying to be good people and be there for one another yeah i guess the other thing i'll add is that it's like that's sort of like you know there's lots of issues with our healthcare system sure and that can be improved sure but like the beauty of canada is that whether you're a millionaire or you're a homeless person, you're receiving the same health care treatment, right? And it's free, right? Like in that, for the most part, that's a, that's a beautiful idea. And, of course, it has its capacity limits, which is, which is just the nature of the deal we've all made with each other as, as Canadians, that everybody is treated equally, uh, you know, when it comes to our, our health care services. Um, and you know, that's, that's how things go up here. And, and, and there's a lot of great parts about Canada that I'm, I'm grateful for. And also I asked, you know, not to get too political, but like with the trucker convoy and people being upset about restrictions, et cetera, <laughs> it's like, do, do, does anybody want this happening? Like do people who are like, you know, a little more cautious and, you know, maybe think things should be locked down further, do, but does anybody actually want it? Nobody wants it. Like nobody is, um, is in favor of more lockdowns or government control. The government, I know politicians, none of them like this either. They all hate it. <laughs> Every politician yeah. hates this right now, no matter what their political leaning is. So it's not like anybody's like looking to screw over anybody in particular. It's just like everyone's just trying, the people in charge are trying their best to keep the situation under control. Well hey, Max, said, Max. Uh, yep, yeah, well said, yeah. well said. And, and I, I, we, I, I, would, I would add this. Eric and I talk about you, know, you and music, uh, us in sports, uh, we work in the toy department. We're the the dis- distractions. Yeah. <laughs> people come in and totally. people come in and play with the toys, and and then you know, like you said, the doctors, the the, the frontline workers, the healthcare people. Uh, you know, that's that's plumbing, man. That's that's ho- that's uh, electricity. Like trying <laughs> yeah. to run your house without that stuff, right? Totally. 
Max, listen, we appreciate you joining us today. Even though, listen, I think I'm only nine or ten years older than you. You made me feel super old talking about listening to us late at night as a as a young Max Kerman. But listen, either way, how old were you when you started '95, Eric? Uh, I was I, well. I was twenty years old. Watch the math, um, Max. Yeah, Watch the yeah, math now. Yeah. Be, be, well, double was, check it. I mean, if you were twenty and I was, you know, uh, ten, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. that, that's the way numbers go, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, 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 trust me. I, I don't. I, I, I guess I'm old. I don't feel old. I don't. I hope I don't you're look not, old, but I'm old, man. I'm old. I'm old. <laughs> hey, man. Appreciate this time. And again, we'll uh, we'll make sure we uh, let people know where to check out the latest uh, podcast, the newest podcast, and obviously our fingers are crossed that we get to see you back on stage in Canada and across the globe real soon as well. All the best, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Max. There is Max Kerman, frontman for Arkells. And again, co-host of the Best Hang podcast, their latest episode, their newest episode, and the new season out right now featuring Nick Nurse. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, you're going to search for the Best Hang podcast, and you're going to check out Smith & Jones as well. We're on Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., but if you miss us for whatever reason or miss even portions of the show, you can always listen back to the whole thing on the podcast. Please rate and review as well. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. I don't even know if I mentioned in the first hour. I mean, that first hour flew by, but... Oh, yeah, by the way, it's game day for the Raptors. Uh, the rare back-to-back at home as Toronto comes off the victory last night over the Chicago Bulls, and now they get set for the Atlanta Hawks tonight. 7.30 tip down at Scotiabank Arena, and the Hawks are coming off a huge win last night as well beating the Phoenix Suns, so a back-to-back for both teams, so no excuses in terms of uh, rest or, 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 or lack thereof, Jonesy. In fact, the Raptors should be arguably more rested because they're home. They got to go into their own beds. They didn't have to do the late-night flight, which they did a couple of nights ago, uh, from Atlanta and come in late and then hit the hotel at 3 or 4 in the morning and then get set for the back-to-back. So it should be a, a, a good one tonight. Atlanta will certainly be licking their chops, looking for a little bit of revenge after the Raptors took one to ATL just a few days ago in Atlanta. Trey Young not playing in that game. He played fantastic last night against the Suns, and I'm sure he's going to be uh, you know, looking to lead his squad to a victory and, and maybe help Atlanta get back on the winning track in terms of an extended streak again because it was the Raptors that ended Atlanta's seven-game streak, and here they are trying to you know, start a new one and, and continue their climb up the Eastern Conference standings. Yeah, um, uh, Raptors have played really, really well lately, and and you know we're we're getting close to the break. It's it's like we say, you start and end quarters well in a game. It's really important to uh, at at key times going in, coming out of the break, starting the season, and you're going to get the ebbs and flows within the season. But I mean, right now the Raptors are healthy; they have everybody playing well. This is the time to, to 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 stack that left hand column, man. Get the wins because that win that you're dying to, or you look at a must win game in in March, you know, April, late in the stretch of the season. Somebody say, well, hey, you, you, what about the game you blew in? You know, what about the game you blew in 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 December? Uh, so uh, stack them up now. That, that's all I can say. Just just get them while you're you're hot right now. All right. Um... We're going to talk more, excuse me, about the uh, the Hawks and Raptors, uh, and we can get into it actually with our next guest. But but a couple of things before we go to our guest, and and I know he's listening in right now, but I want him to be able to listen in because it's going to be a portion of our conversation right now. 
Uh, I have a question both, for him, too. We I both? Got, I got a major major question for him, too, E. Okay. Well, then we, we'll line it up. We got lots to get into with him, but, but he needs to okay. sit patiently for like a minute. Maybe maybe two, but, but hopefully only a minute. We both hit like seven for seven on our Western Conference All-Star Reserves. So we both swept it. We were bang on. Eh, I don't know if we should be flexing too much on that because it was pretty obvious, I think, who was going to make it in the Western Conference. Actually, no, you got one wrong because you didn't have Donovan Mitchell, but still pretty damn no, good. No, I had an opening. I, we okay, kept, hang okay. on. Clarification. All right, I'll give it to you then. Fine, I'll give it to you. We it swept was, it. It was, it was so easy that I just left the spot open. Like six okay. for six, it's like the last spot. It should go to this guy, but it could be any of these guys. It, this is how easy it is in the West. So okay. All I'm right. I'll give you seven that. for seven. I'll give you that. I, I got six out of seven in the East. You got five out of seven. We're going to break down, not the snubs, because as we said last hour, I don't know if many got snubbed this year. I think it just there were so many deserving that many had to be left out. But again, the one guy that got in, at least from a Raptors perspective, that's getting a lot of love from coaches and, and, and other people around the league for the season he's had and for the path he's been on in his career from going to undrafted to NBA All-Star Fred Van Vliet. And here's his former teammate, Kyle Lowry, on Freddie. The last couple of weeks um, have been extremely tough. Um, but, you know, day by day and just, uh, you know, I've had a lot of support, a lot of uh, my organization, the Heat organization. I mean, they, my teammates, they've been unbelievable. And I appreciate everything, you know, from them, you know, my friends, the, the NBA family, you know, a lot of people have reached out. And, uh, you know, honestly, I, I, I thank them. And, you know, like I said, it's day by day. And, uh, you know, I just got to continue to, you know, be positive. Shout out to Fred Van Vliet, my young buck, all-star. I bad. I set up the clip terribly. I thought it was just on Fred Van Vliet. I didn't realize the clip we were going to was the one talking about the very serious stuff that he's been going through, whatever it is, and he kind of addressed it right there. Uh, a lot of family-related specific stuff and didn't go into detail, nor should he. That's private. That's personal. Fine. Uh, so my apologies for not setting it up properly. Clearly, Kyle's been going through a lot. Good to see him back out there on the floor, and uh, good to hear him have that quick little shout-out, as he calls him, his young buck, Fred Van Vliet. All right, long buildup now. He's probably chomping at the bit to get in or saying, man, I'm hanging up the phone. Uh, host of the starting lineup from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. on NBA Radio and Around the Horn, panelist on ESPN as well. You, you know him, you love him, you've seen him for years covering the NBA, and he's joined us in the past. We always love chatting with Frank Isola. Frank, thanks for the time today. Well, this is why you're a nice guy, because I do a radio show, and if I played that clip, I would just blame the producer. I would say poorly produced. That's poorly produced. I wanted. Uh, absolutely put it on the producer. So you're you're a good guy for taking one for the team there. But we know it's the producer's fault, and I'm going to blame him. And I will talk to the station manager after this call if you'd like me to. Oh, Frankie, said like a true New Yorker. Saying, Frank, you got to help us out. Call the station manager on our behalf. Jonesy, I'll do that just for you. Uh, like spoken like a true New Yorker, Frankie. Like the time. <laughs> I, I got on the bus. We were covering the Expos. I got on the bus at LaGuardia to take the short jaunt over to Shea, and I was with a buddy. He was so Canadian. You had to buy, like, a token to put it in and get to from LaGuardia to Shea. And I bought my token. I forgot to tell my buddy. I put my token in, and then I hear this kerfuffle behind me as the bus driver is cussing my buddy. Yeah, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? guy says well it's a dollar he goes yeah but you buy a token you don't put the dollar in the and i'm like welcome to new york man so get him frankie <laughs>
All right, all right, but I have a Canadian story for you. So this is a couple of months ago when I talked to you guys about, you know, the the World Cup qualifier, where would it be in Canada? You guys, I think, said it was going to be in Hamilton. Sure enough, you were right. So myself and five other guys, in early January, we booked a flight on Porter Air. We were going to land downtown Toronto, hang out in Toronto on a Saturday night. Unfortunately, the Raptors weren't going to be playing. Not that it mattered. No fans were allowed in anyway. So we get, you know, we're, we're kind of waiting on the tickets. We have a lot of contact. One of my guys is a, a U.S. soccer college coach, Division One at a high level at St. John's. We, we had enough contact where we figured we'd be good with tickets. A week before the game, the release comes out that they're going to reduce the stadium in half. So now we're like, oh, man, this is going to be harder. Then we look further into it, and basically restaurants and bars, I guess, were for the most part closed. Yeah, we decided not to take the trip. We watched the game on Sunday. The place is filled with Canadians. <laughs> I think you guys pulled a fast one. <laughs> and that's well, why you, you kept it. That, that stadium, 50 You know what I kept thinking? In the background, you could see houses around the stadium in Hamilton. Yeah. I'm convinced that there must be a bunch of the workers work there, and they're probably taking tickets. And if you showed up with 20 or 50 bucks, they're probably letting you in. That's what I would do if I worked there. There's no way. That was at 50% capacity. That was at about 90%, 95% capacity. You guys pulled the fast one. It's all right. That's the only reason you beat us. By the way, Kyle Lahren, the uh, lead, the goal, the, who scored the first goal, I saw him playing in college at UConn. Thank you. I'm all over it. So continue. <laughs> so you're a soccer Okay, but hold on a second. Yeah, I know you're a I, 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 I look at it, though, from another perspective, though. You, I mean, I guess, I guess, Frank, you could say that did Canada win because they had more fans and more fan support, but, but we saved you money. You know, you didn't have to pay for the flight. I don't know if you were getting the tickets for free or your hookup was still going to make you pay. So think, you would have come all this way to freeze your ass off. I mean, it was cold. It wasn't as cold as it was for that for that other game in Minnesota, but it was cold. Embarrassing. And yep. you would have well, and you would have just froze and watched your team lose. Like, there's nothing worse than spending money on a trip and going and seeing your team lose. The only thing that makes it good is when you can walk away with the win. I don't care how much you spend. Your team wins, yeah. it's worth it. But when you go tailgate for a day, even like just a, a two hour drive, like for me, go to Toronto to Buffalo and watch the Bills lose, man, I'm salty. But if they win, I don't care how much money I spent. I don't care about the drive. It was worth it because they won. Frankie. Well, first of all, the way it worked out, too, so we had a big snowstorm here last Friday into Saturday, and our flights were all on Saturday anyway. Now, I didn't change my flight. I waited to the last minute. Sure enough, on Friday, I got a notification that my flight's canceled. It's out taking off at one thirty on Sunday. So we I, we never would have made the game anyway so in a weird way, but Porter is pretty good like, in terms of, like, refunds and stuff like that. So I think we we're going to go up there at some point in March. We're going to try to catch a Raptors game and maybe – it may be something else. So we're still going to make a trip up there. And also the offshoot of this whole thing is like, you you know, we've talked about this before. We keep waiting for the U.S. against Canada in basketball to become like a thing because obviously Canada's got all these great NBA players, but for some reason on the international stage, it hasn't really worked out yet. They still haven't made the Olympics since what Barcelona. And now who would have ever thought it? The, the real rivalry is turning into the soccer one because after Canada won, they started talking trash to the U.S. team. So, this could become like a really fun robbery over the years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, let's get to some hoops. And by the way, the money you saved, uh, you, you're going to take E and I to Carmine's, a nice bottle of red, and uh, you know, we, <laughs> let's we, go. We, we hang out. I'm ready. We hang out in Midtown. Okay. All right. All right. I'm ready. Um, let let. Hey, Frank. Let's talk All Star. Um, and you know one of the guys, and you covered one of the guys 
Only four guys that have ever been, ever come to the league undrafted and become all-stars. Fred joined that elite crew yesterday. And one of the other guys is, is John Starks. Um, talk to me about the mentality of undrafted players. Like you covered Starks. You were with those Nick teams. And, and you know, you look at the way he made it. You see any similarities with, with Fred? I mean, in a different venue, a different space. But you got to see some things that are common there. Yeah, you know, on the day that John Starks got married, he uh, after the wedding he played a pickup game in basketball. So like these these guys, you know, they fought to get into the league, and they've made it. And what you love about it is that they still keep fighting. And you know, on our show in the morning, you know, both uh, myself and Brian Scalabrini, we have been campaigning for Fred VanVleet to make it. First of all, Toronto's having a terrific season. Clearly, it's justified for him making it. And I still go back to Game Three against Milwaukee. The year that Toronto won the title. And, you know, Fred had struggled a lot. And then he had that breakout game in game three. And it really feels like his career hasn't been the same since. And I mean that in a good way. His career has completely taken off since that game three of the Eastern Conference Finals against the Milwaukee Bucks, which, of course, included a championship. And he was terrific against the Warriors. It's, it's hard. It's so easy to root for guys like that. I just love his toughness. I always think he's kind of remained... Uh, a humble guy, and the Raptors are such a fun team. I, you know, last Saturday night, and because I have no life, I was in, and I watched the um, uh, the overtime, the three overtime game that they had against Miami. That was a fun game. Now, with the Raptors driving me crazy, some of the crazy shots that Gary Trent was taking, that was driving me a little nuts. But I was so happy that they they won that game. That was a great road win and a really good game. It was kind of funny seeing Nick Nurse lose his mind a couple of times on some crazy calls. I'm still wondering how that was a foul on Pascal Siakam that drive to the basket when initially he had Kylie Hero put his hand in his stomach and stop him. Yeah. I still don't understand that call. But that was a fun game, and Fred Van Fleet, he absolutely deserves to be on that team. Speaking with Frank Isola from uh, the starting lineup, host of the starting lineup on NBA Radio, 7 a.m., 10 a.m., Monday to Friday, uh, panelists on uh, Round the Horn, ESPN, and so much more. Frank, um, you're a trustworthy guy. We'll, we'll believe you. We don't have the proof to, to, to play to the audience, but we believe whatever you're going to tell us. What was your assessment of the Raptors, your prognostication or prediction for this team at the beginning of the season? And have they met it? Have they changed it? Like, what did you think this team would be versus where they are right now at the 50-game mark? Yeah, to me, they kind of, they've exceeded expectations. I thought they could hang around. Intent. I didn't think Scotty Barnes would be this good. You know, OG Ananobi has played really well. Pascal Siakam, after really a down kind of couple of years in a lot of ways, has kind of regained his form. But, you know, the, the situation with Scotty Barnes, like, athletic, you know, he's a freak. If, to be that young and to already be that good, you know, the one thing about Toronto, they do a really good job drafting players, developing players. You know, Florida State, you know, I don't know. It's not like they they necessarily produced the greatest players. I know Dave Cowens went to Florida State, and you heard all these great things about Scotty Barnes, but he didn't even really start when he was in college. But that guy, he looks like the real deal. And I know in the game against Miami late, hit a couple of big free throws to tie. For me, they've exceeded expectations. Like, I look at them. Like, you look at their roster and what the future holds. Like, you're certainly a lot more optimistic about them than you would be of the New York Knicks and a lot of other teams that are in the Eastern Conference. They seem to be trending upward. Well, a lot of other teams that you can't really say that about them. Yeah, Frank, uh, look, Leonard Hamilton, 
I mean, he's got some guys in the league when you, you, you think about Patrick Williams and Terrence Mann and yep. now Scotty Barnes. And, like, there's there's guys. There's Florida State kids in the league. And I think, you know, the Raptors obviously drafted for, for culture and, and character, too, because you know what Leonard Hamilton players are like. We always say this, certain programs give you certain type of players. You get a culture guy from Florida State. You get a skill guy from North Carolina. You get a, a grinder from Marquette. You, you know, it, it, Louisville gives you a motor guy. Like, it's, 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 it's the program to me. That's part of it. And uh, I would say the Raptors are in a better spot starting this climb now than they were when they started the Lowry climb with DeRozan when they lost to the Nets in, 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 in 2014. And you make a great point about the Knicks. Julius Randle in particular, Frank, was last year the blip? Because what I see this year in terms of numbers is what I've seen before from Julius, and he was great last year. And we talked to your your your, your boy, your man, Justin Termini, about this the other day, I think. Um, was last year the blip for Randle, or is this year the blip? Because when I look at the yeah. numbers, it looks like last year was, was the year that was that doesn't line up, because this year looks like the previous years before that. And let's remember, too, most of the season last year, they were playing without fans in the building. And then in that playoff series against the Atlanta Hawks, but the place filled, you know, the guy that was willing to kind of take on the challenge and take on the garden was Trey Young. And it really seems as if uh, Julius Randle kind of wilted under the bright spotlight of the playoffs. And this year, it's kind of carried over. You know, when you sign that big contract and you're the big name, and I gave him an, uh, a fifth-place MVP, MVP vote last year, he was an all-NBA player. He made the all-star team. You signed the big contract. You're kind of the guy on the Knicks. And with that, you're probably going to get not enough of the credit when the team wins, probably. You're going to get too much blame when the team loses, probably. It's just the way it works. Go, you know, I, I keep saying what he needs to do is call a Patrick Ewing yes. on what it's like to play in New York and face the expectations. You can't. You know, once you start going down this road where the crowd is groaning and they're booing you and the team and you start giving them a thumbs down, like, what are you hoping to accomplish there? And after he did that, you know, he was asked about it in the post-game press conference. He kind of could he could have diffused the whole situation. Ah, you know, I'm just having some fun with the fans. They were booing me, so I decided to give them the thumbs down. But it's all good. I, I love the fans here. Instead, he said, I was telling them to shut the bleep up. You really want to go down that road? That, that's where you want to go. You want to go to war? In New York. And you guys, exactly. And you guys know this. You know, when you get the players who spend all this energy and time and focus on going to war with either the media or the fans, it's a losing proposition. Listen, the fans may have your back when you go to war with the media. I know, like, Stephon Marbury battled with this all the time. Is it really worth it? You're never going to win it. And really, the way that you win all these battles is by winning on the court. And I think Julius Randle, you know, now you go through a stretch where I think it was seven straight, straight games he didn't talk post-game. I don't think the last couple yeah. of games he spoke post game. Patrick Ewing, you know, the game win or lose, great game for Patrick, terrible game for Patrick. You know, Jeff Van Gundy would talk outside the locker room. Those were back in the days where the guy, the coaches held the press conference right outside the locker room. The door would open. Patrick Ewing would be there waiting for us because this thing was, I'll talk, but I'm talking at one time and then that's it. So he'd wait for us. And when we were on the road, he would wait for the New York writers to get there. He might be surrounded by uh, the local people, but he'd wait for the New York writers to get there, and then we'd go. And it's, you know, he'd be wearing that, that wacky-looking terry cloth robe. Both knees would be in ice. <laughs> his feet would be in a bucket of ice, and he'd answer every question. Like, that's how, you, that, that's how you have to do it. You can't run and hide from that responsibility. It just makes you look really bad. I don't know who's advising him or if he even is being advised, 
but it's just a bad look all the way around. For me, he just looks like he can't cut it. And if the, and, you know, if the Knicks can make a move to get off that contract, I don't know how they don't do that. Speaking with Frank Isola, Frank, staying with the Knicks then, and, and I don't know, at the, at the risk of sounding repetitive from a couple of days ago, Jonesy just referenced the uh, the conversation we had with, with, with Justin Termini. One of the things we were discussing with him, and totally revisionist history now, but here we are you know, discussing Fred Van Bleet All-Star. How or why did the Knicks not make a heavier push and throw the max at him and, 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 and bring him into the mix? Because he was there potentially, potentially for the taking. And obviously the Raptors are thrilled and Raptor fans are thrilled to have him back. But, you know, that's the kind of guy they need uh, with that team in terms of just the leadership beyond the, the X's and O's and the actual production on the floor. If only he had gone to Kentucky, then maybe they would have taken a run at him. <laughs> All the Kentucky players. I don't, I don't really get it, but I think you just hit on it, that kind of personality. And I know a lot of people disagree. I know a lot of Knicks fans disagree. But if I were the Knicks and if I could trade Julius Randle for Russell Westbrook and have him for two years, I would do it. I actually think Russell Westbrook, his attitude, his mindset, his toughness, that was his wacky, or wacky things going to happen when he's out on the court, absolutely. But, you know, it wasn't that long ago. In fact, last year when he took a Washington team without Bradley Beal and carried that team over the last two months and got them into the, uh, the play-in tournament, he carried them. I don't think there's any reason why he couldn't do that again with uh, with the Knicks. I don't think if that trade's going to happen, but I think to, to your point about Fred Van Fleet, that's the kind of player, that kind of attitude, that kind of toughness, that kind of leadership that they need. Frank, uh, you, you referenced something that really piqued my interest when you talked about giving Randall a fifth-place vote for MVP. Last night I had a, a great conversation with two guys that used to be in the Raptor organization, DeMar, as he was walking out for the, after his warm-up, and we... I said, how you doing, young fellow? And we got into this little discussion of how he came to Toronto as a 19-year-old. And Mark Eversley, who was just to my left, said, we're going to make this kid an all-star. And, you know, you roll your eyes, right? Every, every GM or assistant GM says that when they get their first-round pick. Like, yeah, yeah, right. But look at the career DeMar's had. Where do you put him in the MVP balloting, Frankie? It, it, I know it's a regular uh, season award, and people will look at DeMar as, you know, he hasn't done much in the playoffs. But he's having a heck of a year right now. Oh, come on. If he's definitely top five at this moment. I don't think there's any question about it. I, you know, I think Embiid, uh, you know, Curry seemed to have the lead for a while. Kevin Durant was in it, but he's going to miss too many games, so he can't. Uh, I'm not going to put him in there. I think right now the leader is Embiid, but DeRozan, and I guess, you know, their percentage points in first place, he's definitely top five. I would even say, I would probably even put John Moran up there as well, maybe even uh, Chris Paul. Yeah. But I, I definitely think that DeMar DeRozan, he's had some great moments. And by the way, you know, he almost he was pretty close to becoming a Nick. They were they were thinking about making uh I guess they were gonna make a trade and then they were gonna try to sign him. And that that's the guy, you know, that a lot of teams could have had. Think about, you know, what the what the Chicago Bulls did during the off season. They get Lonzo Ball in the sign and trade. I know he's hurt now, but he had been playing really well. They get Alex Caruso, another guy that's hurt but had been playing well, and DeMar DeRozan. They had a great off season in the Chicago yeah. Bulls. And well I don't understand how the Lakers and DeMar DeRozan, it sounded like he wanted to be there. I don't know how they didn't get DeMar DeRozan. And I don't know how they let Alex Caruso lead. And you know what? The Bulls are much better for, for it. And the Bulls will be a tough out come playoff time. My only thing about them come playoff time, they haven't really been as a group. And I, I would trust Milwaukee. I would trust the Brooklyn Nets, assuming they get everybody back. And I would trust the Miami Heat a little bit more than I would trust the Chicago Bulls. Hey, Frank, I, I said off the top, I don't know as well you were waiting to come into the conversation. Um 
I don't think it's fair to use the word snub necessarily, especially this year, because there's just so many guys that were having solid seasons in the Eastern Conference. Um, I mean, heck, early in the season, you just talked about the, the path that Lonzo Ball was on, but what about his brother, uh, Lamelo and the season he's having with the Hornets? And, and, you know, think about so many others, the Jared Allen is his name, and, and, and Drew Holiday in Toronto. A lot of people talking about also Pascal Siakam and the seasons he's having. So forget snub, but is there someone that you thought should have been named, or is there a name that immediately pops your mind that says, okay, when they name the injury replacement for Kevin Durant, this is the guy that's going to get the nod? Yeah, I think in the West, um, for Draymond Green, I think uh, Mikael Bridges, Jaron Jackson, or I would put Anthony Edwards there. I think you know you could make the case that maybe he should have made it over Cronin at the Towns. But, you know, Minnesota's always one of these teams that is never any good. They're two games over 500. I'm not putting DeJounte Murray on the team at 19 and 34. I'm not doing it. Meanwhile, in the East, you're right. There's a ton of guys. Don't forget about Jalen Brown, Tyler Hero. You mentioned Jared Allen. You know, but my only thing about uh, the, uh, an injury replacement for Kevin Durant, if you look at the top ten teams in the Eastern Conference, everyone has at least one player in that all-star game. The one team that doesn't is the Charlotte Hornets. The Charlotte Hornets are owned by Michael Jordan. Adam Silver is going to keep LaMelo. And LaMelo Ball is an exciting young player. You know, really one yeah. of the up-and-coming players in the league. I find it, and it'd be, I'm not saying like, that's the factor, but I think it does factor in. I think LaMelo Ball, I think he should and will be the guy. And, I'll, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to be in Cleveland. We're going to be doing a radio show, and it'll be great. LaVar Ball will be walking around. And, you know, he's been kind of quiet <laughs> for that couple of years. It'll be pretty fun kind of tracking him down in Cleveland. Uh, he'll, be, he'll be the greatest, the walking, I told you so. Frankie, last one for me. Um, we mentioned it, the, that the, the, the Lakers could have had DeMar DeRozan. And we are not now talking about the ninth place, three under three games under five hundred Lakers, where somebody had to write on a chalkboard the words, this is how you pronounce it, LeBron, last year. Play in tournament. Repeat after me, LeBron. <laughs> play in tournament. Because he was all for it three years ago, right? Oh yeah, I think it's a great idea. And then last year when his team was in his like who invented this crap, right? No, he LeBron. wanted to get fired. You, he said they should fire the guy that came up with it. <laughs> you are in the play-in tournament, LeBron, and you're backing your way through the Western Conference. Well, it's it's weird. I have nothing against the Lakers. I just love, you know, Laker fans are all over the place, so I do kind of take a perverse joy in them constantly losing. Last night I fell asleep, but the first thing I did when I woke up, and I was fully <laughs> expecting the Lakers to win that game, when I saw the final score... Like, how, you know, it's like I really need to get a life. My day started off great because at <laughs> 6.15 in the morning, I realized that the Lakers had lost last night. So, so I was kind of happy about that. It's amazing that they're three games under 500. And how about the job that Ty Lue has done with the Clippers, and they're 500. So the Clippers who haven't had, and I get it, Anthony Davis has been hurt, LeBron is currently out, but they haven't had Kawhi Leonard for a minute this year, and Paul George has been out of the lineup for a long time, and they have a better record than the Lakers. But I'm telling you, this is what LeBron's going to do. I find it hard to believe that this will not happen. The night of the all-star draft, as you guys know, it's televised TNT. Eat Kevin Durant and LeBron will have to pick the four starters first. Then you pick the reserves. You cannot tell me that LeBron's first pick among the reserves is not going to be Darius Garland. A, it guarantees that the fans are going to be fully behind him and Darius Garland 
the day of the All-Star game. That's number one. And number two, LeBron knows how to create a good story. It's all going to start in. He's doing this. He wants to get close to Darius Garland. This is because he's going to eventually return to Cleveland to play with the Cleveland Cavaliers. We already got. I got. Well, I already have my two stories for the weekend. I'm, cha- I'm tracking down LeVar Ball in this whole LeBron Darius Garland thing. I can't wait. <laughs> Frankie, you're such a New Yorker. What a dra- You're such a drama queen. You're such a drama queen. I love it. Oh, man. Those, those days when I used to pick up the back page of the Daily News and say, okay, what's Frankie got to say now? <laughs> hey, let, hey, when is the little Italian showing up in, uh, for Toronto FC? Insignia. Lorenzo Insignia. <laughs> that's, when, that's when I'll be I, up there. I'll come watch the game with you guys. We'll go, we'll go to the NBA Finals, a little Toronto Golden State, and then we'll go to a game together. Done. Sounds, Sounds perfect. Sounds perfect. Frank, <laughs> always appreciate the time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Frankie. Bye. There is Frank Isola. Always love chatting <laughs> with Frank. Uh, you can hear him on NBA uh, radio, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m., Monday to Friday, and see him on ESPN and uh, many other places as well, NBA TV and, and, and a whole lot more. Always love chatting with Frank. Uh, he, Jonesy, can, can I, can I remind right. you of something? Can I remind you of something? He, he's, he's right, though. What? LeVar Ball is going to be cruising around oh, yeah. Cleveland. It might be worth a trip to the All-Star game just to, to see my favorite gif with LeVar walking into, I don't know, was it the Oprah show or whatever with the, uh, the cool walk? You know, the one I always use? Like, oh, yeah, it's like uh, Vince McMahon yeah. walking down the ramp. <laughs> <laughs> got the the arms are kind of flapping at the side, is it? Sort of like sort of like that old one of Mark of Mark Gasol after hitting that shot, but the, but just yeah. embellishing with the the arms are flapping almost like he's got no no bones inside, just just the, they're dangling there with just the muscles and tendons. Um, All right, what, what I was going me? to say, what I was going to say, yeah, remind you, the Olympics started today. <laughs> I mean, technically, I guess they started a day or two ago, but the opening ceremonies were today. Has there been a I don't know. Maybe we're guilty of it because we haven't discussed it ourselves. But I'm telling you, from from a personal and professional standpoint, I feel like there has never been a less talked about Olympic Games, less hyped Olympic Games, less ah. I, like I, my interest level. Maybe once I get into the weekend, I start watching. Maybe once we start seeing some medals rolling in from Canada, I'll, I'll start getting getting into it more. My interest level is if it's not zero, it's like. Two. I don't know about you, yeah. but no, I, I barely it's, even it's knew slow. what's going on. Yeah, I, no, I did. I mean, some of our colleagues uh, that that are over there working, you know, Lori Ewing, Sherry Ford, like I'm, I'm following them on social, and uh, yeah, if it wasn't for them, I'm I wouldn't of, even know the Olympics were on. <laughs> kind of a, a peripheral sense. Uh, I'm, I'm following along, but you know me, man. The thought of competing outside in the cold. I would be a great football player as long as we didn't have to play in. Buffalo or Minnesota or Green Bay or anything like that. The thought of competing out in the cold, and and you know my 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 memory of the Olympics is uh, it was it was her birthday yesterday. Actually, my cousin, who's a, a former Olympian for Canada, and uh, like the Summer Olympics. I'm 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 with the Summer Olympics. I I like the Winter Olympics, but um, and I give the athletes all that credit and the discipline to be outside and performing in that kind of weather too. Like I'm. There, I would never. Let's see, what winter Olympic sport would I take part in? No, oh, you'd be Maybe doing curling. figure skating, so you could be inside, or or, or, yeah, or curling. curling, or, or can't, hockey, or something. Like <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't do hockey. Uh, it would probably it'd probably be probably be curling, something where you could also have a have a glass of red wine in between the the second end uh, and see, the third. I, lo- end. I love when I hear Jonesy talking about drinking. I know I've corrupted you. It took a long time. It took a long time, <laughs> but we finally got you on the right path. You, you right, were, we're just gonna... the start, E.
you were just the start. There has been a there has been a, another force that has come in as the coup de gras that is that has really hit the nail on the head. <laughs>